We're chapter number one, and uh, last week we began uh, looking toward Christmas. Uh, now we're surrounded by it. We've been singing our Christmas songs and <coughs> been discussing and talking about uh, that first Christmas and things. Uh, the entire month is going to be surrounded by uh, festivities and shopping and probably eating too much and gaining some weight, right? Or is that just in my house? Anyway, uh, there'll be decorations, and the world is at least going to partially recognize that our Savior was born. For once, there's like a, a little bit of a, a letdown, a little bit of an easing of the the attack against God and against Christianity, and they allow the secular stations to talk about Jesus and talk about him being born. Part of it could be what I was talking about with uh, it being sanitized a little bit. They're not offended by the little baby in the manger. It's okay. They can, they can get by with that. But they at least have to recognize that Jesus came, that he was born. Uh, it is unfortunate, though, that many of them, if not most, uh, don't realize the real significance in Jesus coming. Uh, but we do find, as we saw last week, that if they did realize what the significance was, that Jesus is the greatest Christmas gift. And so what we said last week is that Jesus was a promised gift. Uh, thousands of years of prophecies were fulfilled in his birth and in his life. And so it was long awaited. He was long expected, but he was overlooked whenever he came. And so anyway, he was the promised gift. He was also the presented gift because what good is a gift if it's not given? And so after his gift was given, he was praised. We found the angels praising him. By the way, it doesn't say they were singing, uh, but they were praising him. I have to put that in there. But anyway, they were praising him, and not only were the angels praising him, the shepherds were praising him, uh, Mary was praising him, Elizabeth was praising him, the wise men were praising him, and we found many other people who were willing to look for him, who were willing to entertain uh, that God had come down to this earth as a man, wrapped in flesh in the form of a baby, born in a manger, raised up in a carpenter's house in a little town called Nazareth, far away from Jerusalem, far away from the temple, far away from the religious and the political entities of the day. But he was raised up and he was recognized. He was praised by many. And then we saw the last thing is that he was proclaimed. Because just like whenever we, uh, we receive a good gift, we praise, we thank the person who gave it, but we also tell others about the gift that was given and the giver. We go about saying, look at what they gave me. Look at what they got for me. And so with Christ, we go out and we tell the world, look at what Jesus has done for me. Look at what he has offered up. Jesus loved the world so much that he came and bled and died that whosoever will may have eternal life. What a wonderful gift it was given. And so today we're going to continue with our Christmas theme. And in Luke chapter number one, we're going to find an account of the angel coming and telling Mary uh, God's plan and the things that were going to soon befall her. And this has become a well-known story. And familiarity can cause things to lose their effect, right? Have you ever sung a song so much that it lost its meaning? Watched a TV show or a movie so much that you didn't really even pay attention to it anymore? 
there's things that the girls have watched and that Les has watched. I think they could quote it line for line, but they don't ever actually give any thought to what they're saying about it. You ever go back to like one of the songs that you used to sing whenever you were growing up and a teenager and then look at the lyrics and say, oh my. Ever do that? So anyway, sore subject maybe, I don't know. So anyway, as we go through all of the accounts of Jesus' birth, we find a great spiritual truth uh, that I think would do us good to learn, but a lot of times it's overlooked because of the familiarity of the story. Yes, we know about the wise men, and we know about the angels, and we know about Mary and Joseph and the inn, and uh, there was no room, so they were in a stable. We know about the manger, and the cattle were lowing, the baby. We know all of these things, and so it just becomes a story. But it is a true story. It is a very real story and is one that has uh, lessons for us today. And so as I was comparing it, uh, we could compare it to the song of Amazing Grace. How often have we sung Amazing Grace? Quite a bit, right? You ever stop and consider the words of Amazing Grace? I like reading some of the stories in behind songs. And you read about the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, John Newton, a former slave trader, a slave uh, owner and all these things and about his life and how wretched and wicked and everything he was and the song that he penned, how beautiful it is because he truly realized that it was amazing grace that saved a wretch like him. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we are a wretch and God's grace becomes less amazing to us, right? What about the song, Jesus Loves Me? You ever sit down and read the words to Jesus Loves Me? It's a great song. But it's been classified as a little kid's song, right? And so we don't pay any attention to it. It's become familiar. We mouth the words. Everybody knows it, but we don't pay attention to the meaning of it. And so as we look at this story today, I want to actually look past the story and look at a couple of lessons from it. So let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse number 26. It says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God, Unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. So if you want to, uh, a little bit of a modern day uh, interpretation of this. Whenever the angel came and talked to her, she was confused and wondered, wondered what in the world's going on. Okay? Verse 30, and it says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, 
And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, Lord. We do thank you so much, Lord, for this time that we have together together in church. We thank you for your word that we have to look into and to learn from and all the examples in scripture and all the truths that are there for us, Lord. I just pray, ask you just to help us to be attentive, help us to apply them to our lives, help us, Lord, to see them for what they are, not just stories from a storybook, but truths from the honest to goodness word of God. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, just guide me as I preach, direct my thoughts, and Lord, be with each person here that they would glean from this service exactly that which they need. Thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as we see this passage here, put yourself in Mary's place for just a moment. Even if you're a man, put yourself in Joseph's place, okay? So Mary would have had her life planned out. She thought she knew the direction she was going. She was an average Jewish girl from an average Jewish family. Uh, she wasn't wealthy. She wasn't in power. Uh, none of those things. But she probably was planning, okay, I'm engaged to Joseph. We'll get married before too long. We're going to have a family together. We will raise our children up and hopefully grandchildren. We'll grow old together and then we'll die. Nothing sad or morbid about that. That's just the way that life goes. And she had it planned out. My life is going to go like the lives of everyone else around me. I'm going to marry Joseph. We'll be happily ever after, right? And she thought this was the way that her life was going to be. She would be your average Jewish girl. Uh, and she knew that God had made great promises to her people, that there was going to be a Messiah that was going to be born. And uh, there's speculation that a lot of the Jewish women were hoping to be the one that was chosen. I don't know if that's true or not, but I don't figure the thought ever came to Mary. Mary said, I'm going to marry Joseph. We're going to have a family. We'll grow old together. That's, that's the way that life works. I've got this figured out. I'm happy with it. I'm satisfied with it. She might have been planning her wedding. She may have been trying to get things prepared. It wasn't necessarily a, a Western wedding like we think of today, but she was going to be marrying him and having a family. She was going to be living her life the way that she thought that was going to be. It was going to be simple, maybe even boring, but that, that was fine with her. But then... In the midst of all of this, who knows the, the thoughts that were in her mind at the time that this happened, but in the midst of all this, an angel appears suddenly, and her life gets turned upside down. The angel appears to her and says, Hail thou that art highly favored, blessed art thou among women. And she was confused. Remember I said that? She was confused. She was wondering, what in the world is this all about? And the angel starts speaking to her and telling her, God has chosen you. God has a different plan for you besides what you thought that you were going to do. The way that you had everything planned out and plotted out is not the way that things are going to be going, and your life isn't going to be as simple as you thought. It just got a lot more complicated. At the same time, all of the important people who were looking for the Messiah, all of the kings, the governors, the religious leaders, all those who were jockeying in position and that they were making plans as well. And even though many of them were looking for the Messiah, none of them were looking for Mary or for Joseph 
or for a manger in Bethlehem or any of these other things that God was doing. They had their own version of how they thought that things were going to play out. They had their own design and they said, God, this is what we think you're going to do. This is how we want you to do things. This is the plan that we have for you. It would be great if you would just stick to this. And God says, no, I'm not going to do that. All of the Jews that were praying for deliverance, they were hoping to overthrow the Romans and have a king and have an army and have a conquest and all these things going on. None of them were expecting Jesus. None of them were expecting what God was planning. They were looking for a king with a crown, not a carpenter with a cross. And so all through this, we find that God does not do things the way that we usually expect. And this is the truth that I want to bring out today. And it is a what this passage, I believe, exemplifies for us is that from our perspective, God's ways often seem unusual or unexpected. Have you ever had your life to take a detour? Your plans not pan out. The things that you thought was going to happen didn't work. That's definitely what happened to Mary, wasn't it? If we were to lay out a plan for how God was to bring about uh, his plan of salvation, if we were to uh, plan out God coming to this earth as a man, if he revealed that to us and he says, I'm going to come down, I'm going to be born into humanity, and I want you to plan all of this out. Would you be excited about that prospect? God just turning it over to you and say, here, this is what has to happen. I'm coming to this earth. You plan it out. What would it look like? I don't think that it was going to include a young virgin Jewish girl. I don't think it's going to include a manger, a census, Joseph, the shepherds. I don't think it would include any of those things that we associate with Christmas, would it? All of these things that God put into his story aren't things that we would have put in to the story if it was up to us. Have you ever uttered the words, if I was God, I'm glad I'm not. And to be honest, I'm glad you're not. But God tends to do things differently than what we do. What we would have done, only the best would have done for God, right? He would be surrounded by power, by wealth, by comfort palaces and royalty. He'd be welcomed by the biggest names in Israel. You'd have all the diplomats from the area. You would have all of the greatest people there. You may have had the most famous singers welcoming him, not the angels, right? There'd be no cross in his future. You'd be gathering armies together for him to march against the Romans and blood would be shed, but it wouldn't be his, right? Because we wouldn't do it the way that God did. Israel would have gotten its liberty. It would rise to power and prominence, become a force to be reckoned with on the world stage, and he would be ruling over them all. All of the world would bow to him, right? Isn't that what they were looking for? But mankind would still be lost and undone. They would still be in their sin. They would still be without hope. And so men's ways would offer temporary relief but God's way brought eternal redemption. See what a huge difference there is between man's ways and God's ways? The Bible tells us that God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. 
And I don't know that there's anywhere that that is more clear than Jesus' birth on this earth. Because honestly, if it wasn't for God doing it, there isn't a man on this earth that would have done it this way. Just as a bit of a side note, this is an evidence for God inspiring scripture. Because if man was pinning the Bible, if this was a man-made concoction, if man came up with the Bible, do you think there's ever been a man that's ever lived that would have came up with this story? And if anyone ever did come up with it, it had been rejected because of how ridiculous it is. It doesn't fit into our way of seeing things. It definitely doesn't make up a good Disney movie, does it? And so why would we expect God, God's way to be any different than to be unusual and unexpected? Isn't that how he's always worked? If you would just comb through scripture, and I'm not going to bring out all the examples, but comb through scriptures from the beginning all the way up until the end of the Bible, how often is it that God does things in unusual and unexpected ways? You can start out at Adam and Eve, and whenever they disobeyed God, what would have been your response after Adam and Eve did exactly that which you told them not to do if you were God? That'd be the end of humankind, wouldn't it? Adam and Eve would be the first and the only human beings because can't you just do one thing? You had one job, right? But God had mercy on them. We come up to the time of Noah and every man did only that which was evil continually. But Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. We find going through scripture time after time that God is constantly doing things in unusual ways. All the times that he has mercy on people, we wouldn't have had mercy on. We can go and uh, look a little further up to Abraham. I'm going to reveal myself to mankind. I'm going to bring a heritage to bring about salvation to mankind. And I'm going to start it with a childless old man to make a great nation. Is that the way you do it? Let's see. I'm going to look at the whole world. I'm going to make a great nation to worship and glorify me. Okay, that guy's 100 years old with no children. A perfect example. We're going to use him. It's not how we do things, is it? We're going to make Joseph to be the king over all of Egypt. But we got a couple pit stops along the way. We need to go to the pit and to the prison before you get to the palace. Is that the path that you would plan for your hero in your story? Not so much, right? God's looking for someone to defeat the Midianites. And he needs a leader for his army. And he finds Gideon hiding, shaking in fear, threshing wheat in a place where he was hidden from everyone. Normally he'd thresh wheat in the open. He was hidden. An angel comes to him and calls him uh, valiant and strong and all these things. And no, he's a coward. But he's going to lead my people. Oh, the Midianites, they are as big as the, the number of the sand on the seashore. Eh, 300 people will be enough to beat him with. You see all the things that God does in unusual ways. We find that Samson, a man who had no self-control, he was 
led by his lusts and by his own desires. And God used him to deliver and to bring down the house, right? Would you use a man like Samson? I mean, we, we glory in his strength and we are uh, excited by that kind of thing. But if you look at Samson's life, he was a mess. I wouldn't use him. But if I count Samson out, that'd count me out too, wouldn't it? David, the shepherd boy that took out Goliath whenever all of the armies of Saul ran and fled away. Yeah, he's an unusual character, isn't he? Jericho's walls falling by rather unconventional methods. Are you starting to get some ideas in your head, some thoughts of other stories, other places where God just decided, okay, man's ways would be this way, but I've got a completely different idea for this. All through the Old Testament, we find that God worked in ways that men found unusual, and therefore, because they were unusual, men didn't expect it. When we get to the New Testament, God quickly lets us know that he hasn't changed. He continues all the way through Jesus' life, his death on the cross and the resurrection, everything. No one saw it coming. We come to the church. No one definitely saw that coming. Even the, the prophets of the Old Testament didn't see it. And they couldn't have planned it if they tried because would you have picked Peter and Paul or the Gentiles? Say, okay, we're going to start a, for lack of better terms, we're going to start a religion to bring salvation about all mankind, give me a loudmouth fisherman, right? An overzealous Hebrew. Send them to the people that they hate and that hates them. Have them to believe in their God and be saved by faith and not by their works. Is any of that what we would come up with? And so that brings us to you and me. We try to fit God into our box. Are you guilty of that? I think we all are. We say, God, it'd be great if you would do things this way. God, I've got my life planned out. Here's my script if you'll just endorse it. I want things to go just in line in an expected manner. I want there to not be any bumps along the way, nothing that was unforeseen. I want you just to make things work the way that I have it all laid out in my mind. Have you ever took time and just wrote out like a 10-year plan? This is where I want to be in 10 years. This is what I want to happen. I remember back in school, they tried to get us to do that. And it was like, it was, I think they were supposed to give it back to us at graduation. I don't know if they did. But it was like, this is what I want to have happen over the next 10 years. It never works, does it? But this is kind of the way that we do. We try to make God fit into our box, to do things according to our plan. We want Christianity to fit what we expect, what we think makes sense to us. Our life needs to go the way that we have it planned out. And when it doesn't, that must mean that something's wrong. God, you forgot about the part about me being wealthy. I think you left that out. I had that plan. You didn't do it. Right? And so if Mary and the folks in her day had gotten what they wanted, if Mary's plans for her life would have panned out the way that she expected for them to, where would we be at today? You ever think about that? And so because God often works in unusual and unexpected ways, his ways are usually unrecognized and unappreciated. 
Can you imagine Mary and Joseph's reaction? Skip ahead a few months, okay? She's went down and spent time with Elizabeth. She came back. Joseph realizes she's pregnant. He's minded to put her away privately. The angel says, no, it's of the Holy Ghost. Go ahead and marry her. He marries her. They're now husband and wife. They stay separate until the baby's born, all those things. And as Mary is getting big pregnant, they hear a royal announcement from the emperor, Caesar Augustus. All of the world is to be taxed. This is a huge census. And so everyone needs to go back to the town that you were born at and register yourself. And we find that Joseph was of the house and the lineage of David. And so he has to travel all the way to Bethlehem with a woman who's about nine months pregnant and miserable. They have to make a trek from like upper Israel down past Jerusalem into the, the villages of Bethlehem. This would have been a long journey, especially with a pregnant wife. And Mary and Joseph were probably upset. How could this be a part of God's plan? How could this be something that God would allow to happen? Here I am carrying the child of God, and now this comes up, right? I can imagine as they're going along, maybe she's riding on a donkey. That's how it's often portrayed, right? The Bible doesn't say. She's riding along on the donkey. She's nine months pregnant. She's miserable. Her ankles are swelled. She's hungry. She's craving this. She's craving that. Joseph has already stopped at every fast food restaurant along the way. <laughs> they didn't have fast food. But anyway. And so all of these things are going on, and it is an awful journey for them. And I can imagine all of the complaints that were coming about. Now, maybe you all can't imagine Mary and Joseph complaining. They were saints, okay? They, they counted it all joy. And so they're going along, and they're happy about it. But what about the rest of Israel? What about everyone else that this applies to? As they're making the journey, they come into the cities. The cities are crowded. There's no place to stay. People are sleeping on the streets. It's the wrong time of the year. There's nothing to eat, nowhere to go. People are trampling over each other. And it is just so inconvenient. And they can't see God in this anywhere. Why did Caesar have to do this? How could God work in a census? And so all of the things that we know clearly now that God was orchestrating to bring about the fulfillment of prophecy, to bring about his plan, do you think anyone at that time saw it? Do you think whenever Mary and Joseph heard about this, they said, oh, that's right. The prophecy says that he's got to be born in Bethlehem. Okay, Mary, let's go. Oh, God, he's a tricky one. Look at what he did. I see what he's doing. No, that's not what was going on. They didn't see it. They didn't expect it. It wasn't just at his birth. Just imagine whenever Jesus started his earthly ministry. How did everyone expect for the Messiah to come on the stage? How did they expect for him to perform? What was he supposed to do according to mankind? But instead they said, he eats with publicans and sinners. He surrounded himself with pretty rough characters. Look at those fishermen. They don't even smell good. Surely this can't be the Messiah. He came from Nazareth. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? I believe that says somewhere in Scripture, doesn't it? 
And so everyone is questioning Jesus because none of the things he is doing is what they expect for him to do. He does miracles and then tells people don't tell anyone about them. He goes to places where there is nobody at to teach and to preach and to heal rather than thrusting himself into the uh, busy metropolitan areas and going down to Jerusalem. Because surely if the Messiah was coming, he would go to Jerusalem and say, here I am. Proclaim himself in the streets or in the temple or something. But instead he's in Galilee. He must needs go through Samaria. What's this guy doing? Doesn't make sense. And many people dismissed him because he didn't fit in to the way they thought things should be done. He didn't do things the way they expected it. His ways were unusual, so they disregarded him. Even his disciples, whenever Jesus hung on the cross, whenever he died, they would have said, he's dead and buried now. What, could, what good can he do? We must have gotten it wrong. I don't see how God can do anything with a cross and with a tomb. See, these 11 men had put everything behind him. They said, this is the guy, this is the one. And now he's dead. We got it wrong. Now those years are wasted now, right? Peter says, I go fishing. Everything Jesus did was for a purpose. And it was all according to the Father's will. And the world and the disciples looked on often confused because he wasn't doing it the way they thought he should. The kings and priests didn't show up to Bethlehem. Multitudes rejected him. Some tried to follow, but then turned away whenever he got a little weird. Judas betrayed him and then committed suicide because he wasn't what he expected. They didn't recognize his way because his ways are not our ways. You ever look at the events in your life or look at the events of this world and wonder where God's at? You evaluate things and say, how could any good thing ever come of this? How could God be anywhere near this? How could God's hand be in this? We quote Romans 8, 28. We know all, good, or all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. You ever look at the events of your life and say, how could God work this together for good? You look at your future, weigh out the possibilities and say, I don't see how this could turn out well. I don't know how God could cause this to happen or that to happen. I don't know how this can come about in my life. And you have all these question marks about life and about your future. But God works in unusual and unexpected ways. And if you're looking at the circumstances, instead of trusting in God, you're not going to recognize or appreciate what God's doing. And you might miss it entirely. Look at how many people missed out on Jesus whenever he was on the earth because he wasn't what they expected. The Apostle Paul almost missed him entirely. Could you imagine the Apostle Paul was alive and was politically and religiously plugged in while Jesus was on the earth, but yet he didn't follow him, didn't become a disciple until after he died? Talk about a missed opportunity. I wonder how many times Paul kicked himself for saying, I could have been there with him all that time, right? And so if you're looking at the circumstances instead of trusting in God, you won't appreciate what he's doing and you might even miss it. But if you get on board with him, 
His ways are always going to be unsurpassed and unbelievable. We look at Abraham, and he never would have expected all that came from him submitting to God. You realize that the verse that we read here in Luke is a result of Abraham's surrender to God? Just the fact that he was of the house and lineage of David and that David was of the house and lineage of Judah, that was of the house and lineage of Abraham. God put all those things together. God says, I'm going to use Abraham to bless all men. Well, who is that blessing? It is the one who the angel proclaimed to Mary and said, the one that you're going to be carrying is going to be the son of the highest. The one that has been promised since the foundation of this world. The one that Abraham was expecting. The one that was prophesied. And Abraham never would have expected all of that to come from him submitting to God's will. No one would have imagined that the baby in the bulrushes back in Moses' day would be the one that led the Israelites out of, the or out of uh, Egypt and through the wilderness. When they came to the Red Sea, no one was expecting the waters to part. Y'all realize that? Can you imagine being a part of that number, going from, uh, from Egypt, going out saying, finally, we're being delivered, and then coming to the Red Sea and despairing and losing hope and saying, I don't see any way forward. I don't see any way God can work in my circumstances. I'm at a loss. It is hopeless. And then the sea opens up. You know, I think God can do that for us. No one expected that a shepherd boy would become a king. And whenever Mary said in verse 38, be it according to thy word, she never expected where that road would lead. No one knew her before Luke chapter number one, and we all know her now. Why is that? Because she said, God, have your will in my life. I don't understand it. It's not my plan. It's not why I would do things. But God, you know better than I do. Have at it. Here I am. She said to him, not my will, but thine be done. Just like Jesus would later say. Have you ever said that to God? God, I have a plan. I have a desire. I have a way I'd like for things to go. But God, I realize that you know more than I do. Not my will, but thine be done. If you work out my plan, that's okay. But if you've got other plans for me, then I want those instead. See, all of these people that we find in Scripture, they have accepted that God's plan usually differs from our own, and they found out by experience that God's way is always better than ours. You can plan out your life the best that you can imagine, and God's way is still better. The old saying goes that God is too wise to be mistaken, too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you can't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. And if you do that, you'll be glad that you did. And so from this passage here with Mary, we find that God's way is unusual and unexpected. And because of that, it's often unrecognized and unappreciated. But whenever you let God be God, his way is unsurpassed and unbelievable. And there is nowhere that that is better seen 
than in the matter of salvation. Because if we were to plan out salvation, if we were to say, this is how man has to get right with God, it would revolve around our works. We'd have to be so good. We'd have to do all these great things. We'd have to keep all these rituals and all these ceremonies. We would have to go through all these processes, and it would be hard if we were making a way to get right with God. And I know that for a fact because mankind has made all kinds of ways that they think that we need to come to God. But God has made a different way. Not by our good works, not by the things that we have done, but by what he has done. By his mercy and his grace, he saves us. He didn't say you have to be so good. He said, you can never be good enough. Let me do it for you. That's not the way that man plans it out. That's the way God plans it out. God's way provides salvation as a free gift only to be accepted. And many miss out because it's unusual. It's not what they expect it to be. It seems too easy or too good to be true. And they miss out. But all of those who will trust in Christ alone for salvation are going to find that he truly is the greatest Christmas gift. So as we bring all this to a close, let God be God in your life. His plans are not going to fit yours. You're not going to understand everything that he does. But if you'll just keep your eyes on him and allow him to work in your life and through your life and just follow him all the way till you see him face to face, you'll be glad that you did. Because he knows what he's doing so much better than you and me. And so learn a lesson from Mary. Offer up your life. And what she said here in verse 38. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. Because as verse 37 tells us. With God nothing shall be impossible. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, we thank you for this example in Scripture, Lord. Lord, I don't know why in our, our foolishness, Lord, that we expect uh, everything that you do to make sense or to fit our plans whenever we see over and over in Scripture that that's not the way that you work, Lord. Lord, I don't know why we always question your ways and your, your word, Lord, whenever we find that it always works out far better than ours. But, Lord, help us to take this lesson, apply it to our lives. Help us, Lord, to quit trying to push you into our box and just let you be God. And, Lord, we thank you that you are good. We thank you for the way that you work. We thank you that you're very present and very involved in our lives, Lord. And, Lord, I just pray you'd help us to get out of the way. Lord, thank you once again for all you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.